You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 26. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Today's episode is brought to you by International Studies Abroad. Since 1987, International Studies Abroad, or as we all lovingly know them as ISA, has offered quality study abroad opportunities for undergraduate students. Their programs range from traditional summer, semester, and year education abroad programs to service learning, international internships, and of course, custom faculty-led and short-term programs. ISA is part of the World Strides family, and if you'd like to learn more about how ISA can help your students have an enriching education abroad experience, go to studiesabroad.com. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Long time no talk, right? Uh, So greetings. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. I know it's mid-February and I'm just getting around to saying Happy New Year, but you know, that's sometimes just the way the world works. I want to start this episode by talking about my biggest weakness and it kind of leads into why I've been a little bit radio silent lately. I'm, I'm not going to belabor this point. I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, something I've been thinking about a lot about recently uh, with all the developments that have happened since last time I spoke to you guys in late September. And it all kind of whittles down to this weakness of mine. But I want to put it out into the world and let you guys know this is something that I'm grappling with. And I think it's really important for you guys to understand that, you know, I I have had a cool life and a great career. And I can, I hope to continue both of those things uh, for many, many years and decades to come. But I, I'm definitely not perfect. And I don't think there's really anyone out there who would think that I'm perfect by any means. But I still struggle with stuff. I'm still working on myself and Um, how I function and I'm still working on myself, you know, how I enter my businesses, how I grapple with relationships, the good and the bad and the ugly bits of it, uh, how I communicate, all these things. I'm, I'm always, 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 always working on myself and trying to understand where I can improve, where I need to lean into my talents, where I need to sort of give up being good at something. For instance, this year, I feel like I'm finally just going to give up this whole idea that someday I'm going to be like a handstand queen. This is totally off the off the rails here, but I every year I always put this like goal, like okay, I'm going to practice every day and I'm going to build up my strength and um, my balance and my flexibility so that I can do handstands like on demand anywhere I want to, and I just think it'd be really cool and feel really powerful. I love the outcome of that goal, <laughs> but the actual you know day to day practice of building up to that, I just never do it, and I've kind of gotten to the point where. I am letting it go. I'm letting it go because I have yet to do it after like three years of having that on my like, this year I'm going to do a handstand. No, it's it's off. I've, I've taken it off the list and it feels really good. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so back to my biggest weakness. So my biggest weakness is perfectionism. Now, okay, I get it. This sounds like a like a, a backhanded 
strength, right? It sounds like something that I would say in an interview, like, oh, tell us your biggest weakness. Oh, I'm just a perfectionist. And I just wanted everything to be perfect all the time. Yes, I feel like in an interview context, that can definitely be um, perceived as not a real weakness. However, I'm not thinking about it in that way. I'm thinking of it in terms of my life and um, how I show up for myself and how I show up for other people. And for me, my perfectionism, which has has helped me in many ways throughout my life and my career, because I want to be a top performer, I want to put my best work forward all the time. It also debilitates me. Because when I don't have the mental or emotional or time capacity to deliver at a level that I think is worthy of me and my audience and and the people I love and care about, I just won't do it. I'll just sit on it and sit on it and sit on it because, oh, it, it won't be great. And so, for instance, I have had several podcast episodes that I've wanted to release over the last several months. And because of some other things going on um, in my world, which I'll talk about later on in this episode, I didn't deliver it because I knew, oh, well, it's not going to be exactly what I want it to be right now. And I don't really have much to say about what's happening with Inside Study Abroad. There was just a lot in limbo and therefore not perfect. And so I just didn't do it. And I think that's fine. Sometimes you just sort of have to prioritize and and decide what, where you're going to focus, where you're going to spend your time and energy. But in this case, if I'm really, really being honest with myself, it wasn't because I didn't have the time and it wasn't because I didn't have the right resources or any of those external factors. It was me. It was me thinking it won't be perfect. It won't be exactly what I want it to be. And so therefore, I'm just not going to do it. And so... Yeah, it sucks. I'm saying it out loud. It feels it feels good to say it out loud, but it's also, I don't know, a little embarrassing at the same time um, because I, I want to show up and, and, and be able to be a good mentor and coach and someone that people want to hear my opinions and, and thoughts on careers, international ed and travel and all the different things that I like to talk about but also recognizing I don't have all the answers. I'm still figuring this stuff out too. Um, So hopefully you guys are down for the ride with me as I'm trying to figure this out and um, abandon a little bit of my perfectionism while also, you know, putting out good work. Good is better than great as long as it's getting done, I feel like. I I think that's, that's my new model. Oh, did I just find my new motto for 2019? Here we go. So as I mentioned before, the past several months have been full of opportunities, a lot of introspection, as I mentioned. I've moved. I had to find a place to live. I was setting up a brand new life and planning for what's to come next. And of course, there's been more travel in all this time as well. Uh, And I'm going to share more about that at the end of the episode because this part is a little bit more about me. And I know not many of you don't care about me. You want to get into the episode, learn something new about international education and meaningful travel, which I totally get. So we're going to move on from that. And if you're interested in sort of what's been going on in my world, hang on to the end of the episode. And that's where I will talk about that. Um, A few announcements I have coming up. So for those of you in the DC area, this Saturday, February 23rd, I will be the keynote speaker 
at the Lessons from Abroad Conference hosted at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. So if you are in the area or didn't know that this thing was happening or whatever's going on, I'll have links to everything up in the show notes. So if you are there or decide to swing by, please come say hi. I would love to meet you. I'll probably give you a hug inappropriately. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but I, my talk, I believe, is in the morning around 9, I think-ish. So if you are available, come by, have a cup of coffee, and I'd love to see you there. Now let's get on to... The actual big announcement, sort of it's a two-parter, uh, 1A, if you will, in terms of the announcement. GPI is coming, you guys. Yep, I am launching another live cohort of the Global Pro Institute very, very soon. We are going to kick off this next cohort on March 4th, and it's going to run for six weeks. And I'll be hosting weekly live group coaching sessions where you'll get to dive into the content on your own at your own pace, but then join me and your cohort members in live group coaching sessions where you can show me your resumes, your cover letters, ask me about interviews you got coming up. Uh, tell me, you know, we can talk about your positioning and how you're presenting your different experiences and knowledge and skills in your application materials and interviews interviews and where you need to look for jobs and, and how to angle it and all that great stuff. And the reason I'm mentioning the coaching piece heavily here is that that is the sort of 1B part of this announcement. So while this is, I'm very excited to be delivering Global Pro Institute again live to a fresh group of cohort members. This is the last time I'm going to be offering the GPI coaching track ever for ever. <laughs> I got some new things up my sleeve, which I'm really excited to share in the next several weeks. Um, but that means I need to table some things to make space for those new projects and those new goals. And this is really kind of getting back to that weakness I mentioned before. You know, my perfectionism, while in some cases it's definitely a strength, uh, in a lot of other cases, it's not. And I have to give myself space to deliver the quality of work that I want to deliver. And and if I'm going to ship it, if I'm going to pu push publish, if I'm going to deliver on these, these ideas that I have, I have to give myself the space and the time to make those things happen. So that means GPI is retiring after this cohort round. Because this is the last time I'll be offering GPI as a live program with group coaching, I'm giving everyone on my email list a special discounted offer to join before the doors actually open later next week. So if you've been sitting on your hands the last three years and been pondering this idea of joining GPI and keep telling yourself, next time, I'll do it next time, I'll do it next time, well, kids, this is it. This is time <laughs> to pony up and actually get yourself into the program. This is your last chance. Plus, it's your really the last chance to work with me directly. If you want my help and if you want access to me directly, this is your last chance to get on that boat. Plus, I'm going to have a hefty little discount for those people who sign up as early birds. So if you want to make sure you're on my email list and get access to that early bird discount, then go to insidestudyabroad.com slash subscribe. I'll be sharing more details in the coming days, so stay tuned for all of that. 
Alrighty, let's get into today's episode. I'm very excited to bring you a chat I had with Deborah Morrison and Rebecca Anderson of ISA. They both work in the Pacific Programs Division and are basically, you know, gurus on all things Pacific Programs. Now, I have been to Australia once on a personal vacation, uh, but never to do any site visits or visit universities or really see it through the lens of international education. So I was really excited to get to sit down with these two experts in that part of the world and learn more about these programs and opportunities for students in that region. Now about the guest, Deborah Morrison is the Vice President of Pacific Region Programs and Strategic Initiatives for International Studies Abroad. She began her career in international education in 2001 at AustraLearn and grew with that organization as it evolved into Global Links Learning Abroad and more recently into ISA. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the interview. She has held a number of different roles from marketing to operations always with a focus on programs in Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. Rebecca Anderson is our other guest today, and she started her career in international education with AustraLearn in 2008, and since then has remained involved in programs offered in Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. Currently, Rebecca is the Director of Enrollment Management for ISA and serves as the Geographic Oversight Manager for the Pacific Region. In this episode, we discuss how these two professionals launched their careers in international education, and they have two very different and distinct paths, so I think you'll find that really interesting. We also talk about why Pacific programs are on the rise and what makes them unique and special compared to any other part of the world. We also talk about what every advisor needs to know about programs in the Pacific region, plus Deborah and Rebecca share their favorite ISA programs to date. Here we go. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about what's going on over at ISA and your Pacific programs. Before we jump into that, I'm hoping that you guys could give us a rundown of your international education stories. How did you find yourself in this crazy world of ours? Sure. Um, that sounds great. Uh, well, I started with a very small company called AustraLearn uh, in 2001. I had just moved back from Mexico and I've been living there for about five years and I answered a ad in the paper in the classified section because those existed. And uh, took a job with AustraLearn as a marketing assistant. So I was responsible for answering inquiries and mailing out catalogs to students who were interested in the program. AustraLearn grew very rapidly from there and I took on new and exciting roles that didn't exist before and kind of grew with the company. So from the time I started, there were 12 of us, uh, maybe not even that many, there were 12 by the end of my first year. Um, and we grew into a company of about 70 that was eventually called, uh, we renamed to AustraLearn AsiaLearn and EuroLearn. Eventually that became Global Links Learning Abroad and I was the director of marketing for a long time for Global Links. Uh, in 2014, Rebecca and I were both here and ISA and Global Links merged together and thus we became part of the ISA team at that point in time. And with our expertise in the Pacific region, we've kind of held on to that region of the world as our um, area of focus for our, our respective responsibilities within the organization. Before Rebecca, you take your turn. I want to go even further back, if you don't mind, Deborah. So what, what made you decide, oh, this job announcement in the paper was right for you? What kind of international experience had you had to that point that made you feel like, yes, I got to do this? Sure. Um, well, I studied abroad in Guadalajara, Mexico in a few years ago. Um, and in college I, or high school? or In college. Um, and I traveled uh, throughout Europe and Northern Africa as well for about four months once I went while living in Mexico later. So I, I met my um, partner at the time and he and I traveled 
um, around quite a bit and then lived in Mexico because he's Mexican um, and lived in Mexico for five years. And so I had an interest in staying involved in anything international when I returned. And back then, you have to remember, international education was not the career path that it is today. This was 2001. This is a while ago. And so yeah. um, back then, you didn't have master's degrees in international education. You didn't have people who were looking at this as, this is the career path I want to go into. You, everybody happened into it. Everybody did. Mm -hmm. Nobody chose this as their path. Um, but it was a great happenstance, and I really enjoyed the, the, the path as it's unfolded before me. It's great. Awesome. All right, Rebecca? I suppose, um, you know, I got in the field of international ed because I studied abroad in college. I went to college in Minnesota, and I studied abroad in, in Chile for a semester. And then when, and, you know, during college, I always felt like, I don't know what it is that I want to do for the rest of my life. And there was one thing that kept me interested, and that was um, international relations. And of course, after I um, studied abroad and during my, my, my study abroad in Chile, I did an independent study and studied the politics of, of Chile. And that's the year they actually elected their first female president. Oh, nice. And I just found that fascinating. And so I then ended up majoring in international relations and Spanish. Mm -hmm. And... Um, because I was so interested in study abroad and you know, you do it once, you just wanna keep doing it again. And so I worked in, this, in the international office at the university I attended as a peer advisor for about a year. And then I studied abroad again in the summer and I went um, to China for six weeks. And then I graduated that year and I ended up getting a job out here in Colorado, not doing anything international ed related. I wanted to, but it was such a hard field to get into, I felt, so I'm like, okay, fine, I'm gonna do something different. And I ended up doing some international business development and conference coordination for, um, for a, a conference company. And I did that for about a year and they ended up closing the, the doors of that office in Salida, Colorado. And it was that day I came home and I'm like, oh, I need to do something. I either need to move to Denver or maybe join the Peace Corps or something. And I just looked on Craigslist and um, that was in 2008. And, it was for a program coordinator position with um, for Australia and New Zealand, and that was AustroLearn also at the time. So um, that's how I got into it, and that will be 10 years next month. That's great. Well, you know, I always tell people when they're trying to break into the field that, you know, because it is so competitive, especially just getting that first gig inside the space, is that I'm, I'm guessing for you, Rebecca, like part of why you were attractive as a candidate was because you had this really interesting experience in a whole different industry, but you had something tangible to sort of bring to the table. Whereas I feel like a lot of people don't want to try anything else because they're just like, I have to do international ed. And like, well, you don't have any skills yet. We need to get some skills that we can, <laughs> that we can promote and, and, and talk about in interviews and things like that. So I think- it's I, mean, I looked on the NASA job registry site. I looked on, I was, I was so involved. I went to a NASA conference. Mm -hmm. I did all of these things to try and get into the field. And it just, it, I even- was willing to accept a job in the Midwest when I really desperately wanted to not be in the mm -hmm. Midwest anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult and it took, you know, I probably spent six to eight months really searching and, you know, I had another job. So yeah, it was, it was happy. It finally worked out. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm glad you're both here now with us. Um, so let's talk about um, the ISA Pacific program. So, so let's just start with how are you guys defining Pacific programs? So for us, that's Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. Okay. Uh, because those are, that's, those are the three countries in 
the Pacific Rim where we have programs. We also have obviously Asia programs, but those um, fall out of our definition of Pacific. So were Pacific programs kind of a new, were, did ISA already have a, a pretty big presence in the Pacific region and, or was this sort of the bread and butter of global links, your expertise, and they've adopted it basically? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's, that's exactly right. So okay. um, yeah, ISA didn't have any presence in Australia or New Zealand. Um, and so when we merged, that's really, that was our, our programming. It was, mm -hmm. it was the bread and butter of global link. So mm -hmm. we had some Asia programs as well that they were really excited about, but of course, um, ISA had strong programs already in Europe and in South America. So this sort of was a great marriage of these two specific regions of the world, mm -hmm. uh, together into one organization. Well, if somebody is sort of just learning about different program models and, you know, how programs might vary based on regions of the world and hemispheres and all that stuff, can you break down for us what are some key characteristics of programs in that part of the world? Sure. Um, you know, we work with direct enrollment programs in Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. So in all cases, students are enrolling directly into the institutions, taking courses alongside locals. So never do we have a study center set up specific for a semester program. Or, um, or have them isolated into their own independent classes. They're always integrated with other local domestic students as well as international students from around the world. Mm -hmm. It's probably one of the unique aspects of the universities in Australia and New Zealand is that there are so many international students from everywhere, um, even higher percentages than you'll see at universities here in the US. So some campuses have 25% international students. It's, it's, a, it's a huge, um, I guess you could say import business mm -hmm. uh, for the country of Australia's education because they are such highly ranked institutions. They're highly sought after. And you've got a number of institutions that are falling in the top 100 worldwide. So yeah. more highly ranked than probably where most of our students in the U.S. are going. <laughs> um, and really, really high quality education, English speaking, of course, which is um, really important for getting classes in your major. So mm -hmm. students can take any class in their major in any field of study. Um, and that allows them to keep on track towards graduation, no matter what field. So even engineering students can take a full semester of courses and not get behind on graduation, which is not, that's very unusual in right. study abroad um, for a semester abroad. Um, I'd say the another aspect of it is that there's really excellent student support. So even outside of what ISA does to support students, the campuses themselves have um, tutoring offices and, you know, writing labs and excellent computer labs and really high class uh, facilities. So I was on a site visit a couple weeks ago in Australia looking at the super labs that they built and it's the, you know, the only super lab outside of the U.S. or there's some facilities that you can't even get at the U.S. Um, campuses that they have there. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, sports, exercise facilities, things like that. So, um, what you find is that these really extremely highly ranked institutions with really high quality and challenging academics. I was going to ask that. Do you do you find that the vetting um, of students, U.S. students going to some of these campuses, more challenging because they do have to meet a higher academic threshold? I think I think that it's definitely a big difference. Something that our students struggle with mm -hmm. um, are the academics, and it's one thing that we talk about every opportunity that we can. Um, in, in their portal before students support, they have um, their online orientation. So it has tons of information about what to expect on site, health and safety, that sort of thing. And academics is one thing that we talk about. 
Um, we also bring it up during our Bridging Cultures program, which is like their ISA orientation when they land in country. And then we also have our academic workshop, which is something that is specific to ISA. And that is something where um, we, well, Deb created it. And um, we, we really sit down and we have a mandatory academic workshop about a week or two after students arrive in their city. And they are required to come and we, they're supposed to bring their syllabi. We have a huge calendars that, that we provide to them when we talk about their calendar and what it's gonna look like for their semester abroad. So they write down their exams, they write down when they have their paper due or when they need to read that book by. And then a lot of times we, uh, the university, depending on what university they're going to, a representative will come to that academic workshop and talk really, so you have a local Australian really talking about mm -hmm. the academic differences and really putting it in front of the student's face so they get it. Mm -hmm. um, because for years, because we've been here a long time, that's something that we see, we see students struggle with how different the academics can be. Mm -hmm. and so we don't necessarily vet them more strongly. There's a GPA minimum requirement for every program. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily vetting them ahead of time, but we are doing more to prepare them for the academic differences and making sure that they are as successful as possible. Um, because oftentimes they get there and like, oh, right, I have to study. Right, <laughs> oh, that study part, that study run, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's when we step in with that workshop and really go through these exercises that, that hopefully instill a sense of understanding of what they really need to do to be successful. I had a, an Australian exchange student when I was at the University of South Dakota um, who described it to me once. He, he was studying at USD from Australia. And after a semester, he said that, he said, Australians will work really hard and study really hard, but they don't want anyone to know about it. So they, it's like kind of hidden. It's under, under, the, under the radar, whereas awesome. American students are like glorifying, like I spent 10 hours in the library, full of 17 all-nighters, and it's like very overt the hard work they're putting in and um so he always thought that was interesting where um you know when he was back on his home campus the you know exchange students from the u.s were like working so hard and telling everybody about it but and then they thought oh maybe i don't need to work so hard none of the australians are <laughs> they were but they weren't telling anyone yeah it's definitely a difference in culture that that can cause students to have a false sense of security yeah. and because they don't necessarily have as many exams or uh, assignments that are a part of their grading and so right. once they get to their final they may be in a situation where their final's worth a very large chunk of their grade and they aren't as prepared as everyone around them but they don't realize that because that <laughs> glorification isn't happening they're all right years yeah yeah that's really interesting so um from what i understand participation is growing for you guys in in this region why do you think that is right now? What do you think it is going on in the world or student experiences or what you guys are doing to promote it? I mean, I think it's a combination of things. Um, one is probably the destination itself. Uh, you know, more recently and not, not real extremely recently, but you've got things like movies. Um, Lord of the Rings is a great example for New Zealand. It really, we showed, saw a huge bump in mm -hmm. interest in New Zealand after Lord of the Rings came out. Um, so media plays a role in people's awareness of a location and, and their interest. Um, but I think also it's seen as a safe destination. Um, we've definitely seen, you know, right after some of the terrorism attacks in Europe, we saw students making changes, not necessarily not studying abroad, but shifting destination. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot, but some that just want to feel safer. Um, so it's seen as a very safe destination, all, all of the countries there. Um, what else would you say? Um, I, I think it's different. 
you know, um, of course, the number one destination is in the UK, and um, that, that's where students tend to go. But I think more and more now, they're like, well, I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think because it's just a little bit different and because it's so far away, you know, I think yeah. it's, I think that might play a factor in with today's generation. Um, you know, you have a lot of students that are going across the pond and it doesn't seem so far away, doesn't seem so far away and it feels a little bit more, you know, they're closer to home so it feels a little bit more safer. But, you know, I think with, with the generation today, they want to do something different and, and to be a further distance, you know. And, and one thing that I think about uh, when I went to China, it was like, I'm never going to have that opportunity again. You know, just thinking to myself when I was in my early 20s. And I think that um, that's something that we're seeing now. Like, when else am I going to be able to go to Australia? You know, and taking advantage of that right now in when they're in college is, I think, one of the easiest ways to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question. Um, I didn't actually send this. It just came to me. But so, you know, when you meet people, when you guys are traveling and they've been to the United States, there's always like the key places they've been. It's very rare. They've been to like Kansas where I'm from, <laughs> but they've been in New York, Orlando, LA, something like that. Um, so if you were talking to students and there's nothing against Sydney and, and Melbourne, you know, they're wonderful places, but what, what's like one place, maybe each of you could choose one place in, in Australia or New Zealand or Fiji, I guess, um, that you think students should consider that maybe is it off their radar? They're like, would have never considered it before. I have, a, I have kind of a lot. Um, I would have to go between, if I could pick one per country, um, I'll start with Fiji because Fiji is kind of near and dear to my heart, I suppose. Um, it's, off the radar, it's off the beaten path. It's a country that is still developing a bit. Um, and so there's just something that's really, really special about it. It's also our most affordable program that we have in the Pacific. Um, and it's not something where you're gonna have a hundred other Americans going to that program. So if you're really looking for, um, I feel like it has everything. It has great academics at the University of the South Pacific, um, great diversity, um, the housing is great for Fiji. Um, The students are an excellent accommodation and that's for ISA only. Um, And it's beautiful. Um, It's it's just such a great location. It really has everything I feel like the students need, Um, but it's just not on a lot of people's radar. No, I don't think I've ever met a student who said, I study abroad in Fiji. Right. So I feel like that, that uniqueness factor is also a kind of selling point. Yeah, and it, and it really is. So I would, I would have to say that's probably my number one. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I would always suggest Newcastle as a great destination. It that's is my number two. <laughs> you know, it's two and a half hours north of Sydney. You can hop on the train to get down to Sydney for the weekend or even for just a day. Um, and it's cheap. It's like $10 or something on the train. And you, it, it's, it's super easy. Um, and it's a beach town, so there's beautiful beaches, much more laid back, much more very Aussie in a lot of ways. And so you get that great um, Australian culture. And it used to be a very industrial town, and it's really grown up and matured. And I remember the first time I drove through there, I was like, oh, there is no place to eat here. Like restaurants were serving like white bread and tuna fish, you know, <laughs> and I was back just a couple of weeks ago and had some of the best tacos of my life, honestly, in Newcastle, Australia. So it's come a long ways. It's definitely matured greatly and it has great restaurants and mm-hmm. 
and then they get music that comes up from Sydney. So you get everything like that you would want of a big city, but that comes to you versus having to go down to it and not having that, the, the craziness of a big city. So it's a great in between of everything. And you probably have tons more to say about Newcastle because you love it too. No, I mean, just that I, yeah, just that I do love it. I feel like it's one city that I've been to. I mean, there's so much of Australia that you love, right? Like right. you can't go wrong no matter what. Sure. Um, but again, Newcastle just kind of, it's just special, like authentic. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I just had such a great time there. And it's a, such a beautiful um, city and our students love it. Yeah, the campus. Also, it's There's also like, really affordable. So right. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it might be a little more affordable for students. Definitely. And city. so that's yeah. a good option for our students who, um, you know, maybe can't afford the Sydney prices or yeah. the price of accommodation in Sydney. Um, we're always referring them to go to Newcastle, and we just love it. Great support there. The university is wonderful. Our team there is so great. So. Yeah. And then New Zealand. As I said, let's not neglect New Zealand. <laughs> no, let's not, because it's a wonderful country. Yeah. Great search, I would say. Okay. Um, should suits it. I think it gets also overlooked a little bit. Um, again, all of New Zealand, I think, is fantastic. But something about Christchurch is that it's in the South Island. And um, it's, it's I don't know, it's, again, just... Well, it's, like, in between the coast. I mean, it's on the coast, right? So you've got, the, you've got beaches, actually. And mountains. And then the mountains are right there. So yeah. for students that are really into adventure, they can do anything within a few hours. And there's ski fields and there's all kinds of outdoor activities and access to all of that. Mm. And then a really high quality institution, especially for engineering students. I mean, fantastic for engineering students. They also have a really cool um, community service program uh, there and, um, and a great like entrepreneurship program. So they have some really unique programming as well. Mm -hmm. And they also, we have such a great um, relationship with the University of Canterbury and Christchurch where they are giving us lots of money for scholarships. Yeah. So if we ever hear students. from students that are like, I really want to go, I want to go to New Zealand and I just don't know if I can make this financially work, we can reach out to them and ask them to help us with the students. So that's another thing I just... They're just fantastic and, and they are a great part every way. Well, and that's something, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of students who listen, I don't think, listen to the podcast, but if you are listening students, I mean, I think that's a pro tip across the board is um, I think a lot of times students or anyone will get in their mind, like study abroad is expensive. I don't have money. Therefore I cannot do it. And it's like, that's the formula. They don't think there's any wiggle room there. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if students really want to make it happen, they need to reach out. They need to call you guys and say, I really want to make this happen. How, how can you help me financially? What are my options? And, and being open to the fact that, okay, you, London or Tokyo may not be the best option for you based mm -hmm. on price, but look at other options in similar regions or different parts of that same country that might be more affordable um, and having some flexibility. Um, I always tell students too, it's like, you're probably not going to get your dream scenario and get it for free. <laughs> so um, you're probably going to need to sort of, um, you know, expand the options for yourself to make it happen. And mm -hmm. I think that what you said is like, students tell us that they're struggling. You guys are more than willing to sit down with them and say, okay, what could work? Absolutely. And it's, and it might not be that full semester. Maybe, right. it's a, maybe it's a month long program in the summer or an internship or service learning or something like that, which tend to be a lot more affordable. Right, right, right. Well, come I, segueing a little bit, we talked, you starting to talk a little bit about different programming um, models and, and you talked about the entrepreneurship op opportunity in New Zealand. Um, what are, you know, what are, what do you, would you say is some of, ISA's secret sauce in terms of how you guys 
approach your program design decisions and things specifically for programs in this region? Yeah, so there's a couple of different things. One is that we often undertake some curriculum matching with universities here in the US. And so because the, the institutions abroad are huge and very comprehensive in Australia and New Zealand, and they offer pretty much every major you could possibly want, as some of them at one campus. So there's a lot of options and it's hard to narrow it down sometimes based on that. And so what we'll do is we'll find the best match based on academic area. So we might say, okay, exercise science is a great example. And their exercise science needs to take, students need to take specific classes. Where can we get those specific classes? All of them, right? And we'll do some curriculum matching between a university here and a university abroad and line those up. And then we'll sort of, that allows that cohort of students from that particular academic area to flow through um, and know that they're going to get their course equivalencies at the university abroad. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of work. Um, and we do that here as, as an ISA team um, for on behalf of both the institutions and to make sure that that happens. That's amazing. Because I ran a one-person study abroad office and me personally having to like comb through course credit equivalencies at all these institutions around the world was not possible. Let's be honest. <laughs> it was never going to happen. And so then the, there were a lot of limitations to our students because I, was, I don't know if I can approve that. There's just not enough time and manpower to do it. So I think that's an amazing service. So a university could call you and sort of say, we'd love to work with you. We need help with this process. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. And, we, and oftentimes it's even universities that say, okay, our students can go to these six campuses or to all of ISA's campuses or whatever they choose, but they're really trying to get this one group of students from one academic right. major to go outbound. And so right. we'll really work on that particular, in addition to just working right. with any student from the campus, we'll work specifically with those students um, or it could, it could be any number of combinations of that sort of a, of a strategy for them. To, to hopefully get some students that maybe would otherwise not go abroad because they don't know that they can do it in their academic area. That's, mm -hmm. There's often a self-imposed limitations or departmental limitations that can be broken through once you can start to showcase these academic areas. Right. So to follow up with that, I, I'm curious, you know, what would be your um, advice to a university office professional right now who doesn't have a lot of options in the Pacific region and really doesn't know where to begin, what would be your advice on how they could sort of get started offering a portfolio of programs there? Call us. Yeah. <laughs> Call ISA. What's that number again? Yeah, right. Um, I think, you know, one of the big things is there's a lot of choice. Um, and a lot, all the universities on paper can look the same because they're all good at everything. <laughs> so they come across because they do have huge faculties of lots of different uh, areas. So I think there's a diff couple of different ways to go about it. One, you can narrow by area of study, of course, and there's some areas of study that can be more, that are, you know, that are not offered at every institution, but if it's something like business and communications, every institution is going to offer it. So then you can advise the student to, to think about what they want to be able to do while they're abroad and not just look at Sydney or just at offline, you know, to, but to think about other destinations because what, what do you want to really be able to do while you're there? Do you want to be able to take a train out to the beach from Brisbane? Do you want to be able to, you know, fly to Southeast Asia? A lot of our students choose to do that during their breaks is because there's cheap and easy access to, let's say, Bali or, or Thailand or whatnot. And do you want to be able to take those kinds of trips? Do you want to be closer to an international airport for that reason? Do you want to be in a smaller town that's going to give you more access to locals? 
Um, you know, things, those are the kinds of the questions you want to ask. And so you want to, want to be educated on the destinations. And we've got webinars and lots of information for, for advisors and mm-hmm. to learn from about our destinations. I've got cheat sheets I can share, you know, things like that, that right. we're happy to share to, to help people be more educated on what's the difference in the different institutions because it's really hard to see it on paper and we actually have a quiz that yeah, you can right. take it's kind of like a buzzfeed sort of thing okay. you put in like your gpa what you're studying and other things about you you just answer some basic questions and then we're like voila you should go to this university yeah. nice. <laughs> it's such a good question that we have had this for years you know i mean we get students and advisors that call us all the time well so-and-so wants to go abroad but where should they go and so it's just having that conversation of what's their major and GPA, um, and then really understanding what kind of environment the student wants to be in. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really smart, because I feel like a lot of times students will just start with destination mm-hmm. without any really consideration oh, of the experience they want to have. They're like, I have to be in Paris, but they hate cities. So I'm like, well, you're not going to like Paris <laughs> or something like that. So I think that's really smart. Um, I will definitely link to that quiz um, in the show notes to this episode. But anything else you guys wanted us to know about the Pacific programs? I mean, you were asking about unique programming, and one thing I failed to mention was, um, you know, some of the great aspects about these big research institutions is that they have research. So we've been able to develop some unique programs as a result. So we have a summer research program with University of Auckland, for example, that's um, a, a eight weeks of pure research. You know, that's one option. Where we're starting to look at more combination programs. Um, which they, there are some institutions that offer an internship component as a course, and so they can do a, students can do a study internship combo or a service learning combo. Um, and we're looking, we have service learning programs as well and full-time internships as well in the region. And so um, we're looking for other ways to pair those up with, let's say, custom programs or semester abroad. So there's a lot more programming than just semester abroad, and I guess we've really focused in on that, but I wanted to make sure that that um, we pointed out that there's lots of ways for students to get to the region that might be less, more cost effective for them um, and be over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would be a better fit for some students that maybe can't do a full semester abroad. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I love, I love the combo. I did a combo program myself, an internship plus coursework in London. It was great. I felt like the people were so much more impressed that I did the internship than just the study abroad. So definitely uh, <laughs> a program for sure. And so yeah. You know, more more motivated. So good, good on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was so great. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. I hope this has really been informative for everybody listening about seeking out new program options in any new region of the world, but specifically in the Pacific. And I will link to ISA and everything that's going on. You guys can reach out to Deborah and Rebecca if you have more questions. And thank you, ladies. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Brooke, for having us. Thank you so much to Deborah and Rebecca for coming on the show and sharing all their wonderful wisdom about programs in the Pacific region. And of course, to ISA for sponsoring this episode. If you want to learn more about ISA, head over to studiesabroad.com for more information. Now, as a reminder, the Global Pro Institute is coming back very soon. So if you wanted to join the program, this is the time to do it because it will be the last time I offer the program with live coaching ever. So be sure to get on the email list to get early bird access to the program, plus a very special discount for those early 
bird action taker rock stars out there. So go to InsideStudyRaw.com slash subscribe. The program starts on March 4th. As promised at the start of the show, here are some life updates for those of you interested. Picking up from where we left off in September, I was in the process of being recruited for a dream position in the meaningful travel industry. Now, I'm not going to go into great any detail really about the company or what I'd be doing there. Um, not that it's really a secret. It's just, it didn't happen. So I don't really belabor it that much. I will just say that it was a two and a half month process from the moment of, Hey, this is a thing that could be a thing, a job, maybe who knows to the point of getting an offer negotiating the offer and, and, and that whole rigmarole. Um, it was a two and a half month process. And I will say the reason it lasted that long is because it was a really exciting opportunity, not just for me, but also for that company. It was getting ready to move in a broader, bigger, very exciting new direction that I was going to play a big role in. And on paper and in so many ways, it will, could have been an amazing next step and next path for me in, in so many ways. I, I can't tell you guys how much I was wringing my hands over this decision because I love that team. I respect uh, the leaders and the, and the whole team there so much. They're, they're wonderful humans and I, I love what they've built and are getting ready to continue to build more of and, and grow in, in major ways. And it would have really been a huge honor to be a part of that team and a part of the, the next phase of their business. But after doing a lot of introspection on what I want to do with my time, where do I want to be and what kind of work I want to put out in the world and really, really thinking about my long-term legacy. Yeah, big, big, Big effing questions, right? <laughs> Grappling with a lot of that, I just realized after, you know, those two and a half months of back and forth, I, I just couldn't say yes. It just wasn't the right next move for me. There are even days still where I'm like, oh, did I make the right decision? But I know I know in my gut it was it was the right decision. And I will tell you, there are many days where I was like, it's a yes, it's definitely gonna be a yes. Of course I'm gonna do this. And then you know, when it came down to actually having to to give a real answer, I just I couldn't say yes. And I wish them all the luck in the world. We are still friends. There's nothing, no bad blood or anything related to this. Um, but it was a really great exercise for me in really having to decide for myself what needs to be next. So with all that, that takes me into early December where I had just spent a week in Colorado with friends, a few days in Kansas City, getting to know my hood again, and finally made my way back to the ranch to be reunited with my parents. And of course, little Sir Barnaby himself. It was a wonderful little reunion. And if you guys want real time behind the scenes, look at my life and all these things that happen on random days of the week definitely follow me over on instagram as at the new dorothy that's where i'm the most active on a day-to-day -day basis i try to update my stories and sort of give a little peek behind the scenes so if you're interested go to instagram and i am at the new dorothy so I spent most of December making the rounds to see family in Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri. I was looking for a place to live back in downtown Kansas City, which is where I am right now. Yay. And I was, of course, prepping for Christmas and the holidays to be with family. And, and I was eager to ring in 2019 with a bang. You know, 2018 was one of the best years of my life. And I'm actually think I'm going to make a video about 2018 because it was pretty epic year. Not going to lie. But the, here's the deal. I, I expect 2019 
to be just as epic, if not even more amazing than 2018. And that's that's saying a lot. And so far, 2019 has not disappointed. I've taken on a new consulting client that I'm really excited about, as well as another business coaching client where I actually flew to London for a week to work with her on her business. And because I'm me and I'm a digital nomad, I could work from wherever. I also extended my trip into Europe. I was in Amsterdam and Belgium for uh, several days because I'd never been. You guys, can you believe it? I've been to Europe so many times and I have never been to the Netherlands and Belgium. So got to do some exploring there. It was really, really great trip. I'm really excited for what's to come, which leads me to what's next. I'm not really ready to announce every sort of detail about what's coming, but you guys know I'm always cooking up something. But right now my biggest focus is getting the Global Pro Institute out into the world again, uh, welcoming in a new cohort of GPI, Global Pros, as we like to call ourselves inside the program, and, and, and release some not perfect Inside Study Abroad podcasts. That's my promise to you. They will not be perfect, but they will get out into the world. That's my goal over the next uh, couple of weeks. And then in early March, I have a pretty big announcement. So if you are curious about what that's going to be, please stay tuned and make sure you get on the email list at insidestudyabroad.com slash subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. And there's a lot of really fun things to come. So until next time, you guys remember that every day you postpone a dream, you weaken it a little. So get out there and make some magic happen. I'll see you soon.